0: Welcome back to the podcast. We are always having fascinating conversations here. And I think that is true. I think every person is fascinating. I think every conversation that we have is necessary and fascinating, but I think this one's pretty good. I actually spent a season down in Antarctica, a place called McMurdo Station. Long story behind that. But I found out as I was kind of having the interview before the interview that today's guest who actually is a leadership coach and also works around branding, helping leaders shatter imposter syndrome. Her name is Casa Grant, and she actually spent time in Antarctica as well. So we start by talking a little bit about this crazy, weird, but incredible experience that we had that shaped us deeply down in McMurdo Station down in Antarctica. Uh, I spent a summer, the coldest summer of my life down there. She actually spent three summers and three winters down there. And we talk about that, how that shaped her, how she made her way to leadership coaching and even helping leaders around branding. She now resides in New Zealand and has some interesting perspectives on life, what it is like to live as an expat and lead a business. In the meantime, a fascinating conversation. And I believe there's a lot here, especially as we talk about insecurity. If you are a human, especially if you are attempting something that is scary to you, you do not want to live the status quo, which I would guess is every single person that's listening to this podcast, you will feel fear. You will deal with it regularly. You will need to silence it at times, but you'll need to know if you are experiencing fear in the risk that is your life and leadership, then you are normal. You're going to have to learn how to manage that. We talk about that imposter syndrome about insecurity, about fear, about storytelling, some topics we really need to talk about, and even curiosity and coaching what it's like to be a coach and how we become more coach like and draw things out of others. Friends, love this conversation. We're gonna to continue to bring you good stuff, surprising and fascinating conversations. Here's my conversation with Casa Grant, straight from the South Island of New Zealand. Casso, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Alan. I'm excited to be here. We've
0: already had a great conversation. Like, we're already (laughs) winning here. Um, Uncommon commonalities. It turns out we both did time at McMurdo Station down in Antarctica together. So we got to talk about that a little bit on the air first. Um, What in the world drew you down to Antarctica? And describe for listeners what it
1: was like. Well, it was hilarious because um, I had a friend who worked down there for years and he kept trying to get us to go down there and uh, a bunch of our other friends. We all drove um, adventure travel buses throughout the U.S. and Mexico and Canada. And so it was kind of perfect seasonally. You know, we would work in the summer in the States and then go down to the ice. But I I was in grad school and I finally finished. uh, I was finishing grad school and I thought, you know, I don't have anything better to do. I know that's so lame because it's like, I mean, of course I wanted to go. But some people are like. I'm dying to go to Antarctica. I just really have to go. And I was kind of like, that was me. That was this? me." Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, and they apply to go for like 10 years in a row. And I mean, I really lucked out, but it was one of those times where I was like, yeah, this seems like it'd be interesting. That's kind of how I've always done things It's like, well, this seems interesting. I can't think of anything better to do, which I know is not very intentional at all, but I was just like, yeah, I'll go check it out. And so uh, I first started on there as a, as a shuttle driver because I was a commercial driver and uh, drove Ivan the Terra bus and all the big, uh, huge vehicles down there, which was really fun. And uh, and then I w- worked down there on and off for five, for five years. So I did three full summers, three, three, three summer seasons and three winter seasons. And uh, I eventually moved into supply, which is what you were saying that you were kind of working in too. Um, so I was running the operations supply. Um, and it was really, it was one of those jobs where you're like, I never would have picked that for myself, but I really enjoyed it a lot. Like I really loved logistics and all of the you know tetris of putting things together and trying mm-hmm. to figure out uh, little we call them supply mysteries and so yeah it's just like where's that thing they got i mean we would find things from the 60s on the shelves you wow. know um yeah. that were it was just amazing and so um yeah i was down there on and off for five years and it was you know transformative amazing etc but we were just talking about like when you leave the ice there's a whole other identity shift that needs to happen because especially if you've been down there for a couple of years, you've really uh, created this community and this identity for yourself. And um, it can be really scary to let go of that. I mean, I still, of course, I'm friends with people from the ice, um, but it was a big transition for me for sure. So that was, um, and that was when I first started my business too. So like throw all that in together. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot of change. It is an alternative
0: world down there. It It really is. is. And parts of it um, you've kind of tasted of and smelled of before and parts of it it's completely different than anything mm-hmm. I had ever done. Um, I did one summer on the ice, right? Coldest summer of my life. Didn't see darkness for, I think I did the long, right. long side of it was was seven months. I kind of came early, left late. You did winter. Oh, okay. You have to tell me what the winter experiences were like. And three of them, no doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah right, right. I mean, they were all different. The first year, uh, we still only had, we've had flights. that The last flight was in um, February. And then we had six months until wind fly, winter fly it in, in August. So I was always on the flight crew. And I mean, you're out at the airfield and you're watching the C-17 take off and you're just thinking like, I think I might've made a horrible mistake, right? Like, and you, you really buy like that. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, um, you know, and you're like, you know, it's going to be six more months for another plane. And so- um, that was scary. I mean, it was really scary because you're just, I, and especially at that point, I really had been traveling a lot and I had not stayed in one place for more than, I don't know, six months at that time. So that part was also freaky for me. But, um, you know, with winter, it was interesting because especially that first winter, you are afraid of like, what is this going to do my psyche? Like, you just don't know. It is dark for five months.
0: Literally have to and, take a psyche, valve to stay down there for the winter. Yes, so that's right. A good, we did. We a had to take that.
1: Yeah. 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 We have to take the psyche valve, which I will say, I think was kind of a joke to be perfectly honest, but it was like based on the MMPI, which is like, um, you know, the cop test from the the fifties in Minnesota. (laughs) Like it was really, are you afraid of lightning? It's like, well, do I like lose sleep thinking about lightning? No, but do I have a healthy respect for lightning? Yes. So, you know, it was just like weird questions like that, that I don't really know. I mean, I guess I answered them right, but, um, but yes, we did have to take the psyche valve. And then there was a a, a person who, um, his he deteriorated very, like, it, June and July are the hardest because it's been dark for two or three months. It starts to just feel like this slog every day is the same. There's only 150 people on station. You're just, everything that annoys you will annoy you even more. Some people don't sleep because they can't get their circadian, like, your circadian yeah. rhythms are all messed up because, yep. you know, it's dark all the time. So it really starts to take a toll and people just start to get really aggro or they start to get, we call it winter brain. Like you just forget stuff all the time. You can't. And, and to be fair, the people who do the best, I mean, this is when I started learning more about internal external locus of control, which is what I use it in leadership a lot because, you know, understanding the things that you you can control, the things that you can influence, and then yeah. the things that you do not control yeah. and letting go of those, like the yeah. people who did the best yeah. really could understand and differentiate those things. Whereas... The people who struggled the most were trying to control things that they couldn't control, and totally. not trying to control things that they could. Right? And we so call those the two buckets,
0: like the yeah, two the two buckets, and really like COVID. I mean, you talk about yeah, what perfect can we example control in my little world? What do I have to steward, and then what can I not control? And exactly. healthy leaders understand the difference between whether you are in Antarctica, in Antarctica, in COVID or in a beautiful summertime in New Zealand, as you're calling in from. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. Absolutely. Internal, external locus. Keep going.
1: Yeah, because that was, you know, that was where you started to really see the cracks. And I see, like I said, I use that, I do use that metaphor a lot in leadership coaching because... I mean, we're seeing exactly what apparently you're drawing with, With I mean, the difference was we had chosen to be down there and yes. we knew when it was going to be over. And yep. that's where I see people really getting more and down more and more now is that we don't know when it's going to be over and none of us chose this, right? So yep. that's that's something that I'm definitely helping people navigate as well of like focus on the things you can, like what you're saying, the buckets that you can control. So um yeah he he did not do well and I mean I remember watching him walk around the galley and the cafeteria and just thinking like oh my god I hope that doesn't happen to me which I know is so selfish but that's what you're thinking at that time is like is that gonna happen to me you know um and then you get like you know you get through that first one because that was a 13 month stint so it wasn't just that it was winter I would also been down there for like uh yeah 13 months by the time I left so it was intense and it did teach me a lot it definitely um made me think about things differently. When I left, I went and traveled some more and did a lot of um, self-reflection and, and personal development work. And that was really a powerful time for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely brought up a lot of things like, you know, in the dark, you it bring, I mean, this is a terrible metaphor, but it brings up things that you maybe didn't want to see about yourself. I mean, I actually quit drinking after that winter and um, yeah, did a bunch of changes that actually ultimately made me a lot happier. So it turned out being a catalyst for some pretty big changes that I, um, I feel like I needed to make at the time.
0: Sure. So now you're in coaching. um, How do you think your time down in Antarctica actually made you a good coach?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I would say also with my bus driving experience, well, and teaching too, but expecting the unexpected, right. I mean, and and also learning how to create these systems that will help you uh, help you make the best decision that you can at the time based on what you know or don't know, right? So, you know, people want to get caught up in analysis paralysis or, um, you know, just trying to make the best decision. It's like, well, you don't just try, you do. And you have to do it based on what is in front of you, right? And that's what leadership really is. You're never going to know all the things, right? And you're never going to have perfect perfect circumstances. And that's, that's one of the main things from the ICE that I've definitely taken forward with me is like waiting around for better circumstances is probably not going to happen. I mean, it might, you know, of course we do cost benefit analysis, that kind of thing, but um, you have to move and you have to pay attention and you have to trust yourself. And that can be really challenging to build that muscle um, to understand that, yeah, I'm going to mess up. And now I have to, then I'll have to figure out what to do then, but it's Mm -hmm. better than staying stuck and it's better than not trying.
0: Yeah, that's good. So many parallels there already. I love that we've weaved Our Antarctic experience um, into what we're doing now. Because I I do believe you talk about travel, self reflection. Um, We often quote a leader called Mark Batterson that says, Change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. And Mm. it shifted my perspective being down there. You're currently residing Mm. in the South Island of New Zealand, which is one of my favorite places on Earth, and have explored it extensively. We uh, hitchhiked around there for about two months after time on the ice, which awesome. I'll never forget the experience, by the way, kind of last Antarctic story of coming from the ice, right? It's freezing, seasons are changing, starting to get darker and you get out of the plane and there's grass. And I just remember us stripping off yes. clothes of which I was wearing like seven layers to save weight and yep. rolling around <laughs> in the grass, like crazy people not caring. Uh, and like, oh, and I remember my senses waking back up, like, oh, I can smell again. And I had no idea green existed other than this little greenhouse we had. So it was so many moments are frozen in my memory from that time for, you know, a relatively short amount of time, right? Seven ish months from that. Um, take me to coaching. What was your path to becoming a leadership coach?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. So, as I mentioned, when I moved to New Zealand, I, um started my own business as a copywriter so uh you know I'm thinking what can I what would what would people pay me to do that I'm good at and that I like (laughs) doing and you know my undergrads in English I've always been good at writing um I did definitely had to do a lot of training to get myself out of like grad school writing you know scientific writing is very different from selling and copywriting and I mean there's still a lot of persuasion involved and my my master's thesis was in discourse analysis and branding so that definitely helped um understanding language patterns and those kinds of things. Um, So I started doing copywriting and with an emphasis on branding and I just loved it because I love story and I love, um, you know, how it can create context really instantly. I mean, it it is subconscious and it's um, engages brain patterns that so many other things will never engage. Right. So um, I started working as a copywriter at a a brand consultant for a couple of years, but honestly, pretty early on, I knew I wanted to go into coaching. I was just afraid to do it. (laughs) And you know, leadership coaching made sense a lot of sense to me because I've always been passionate about making things better for other people. if you if if you're a good leader, you're going to make things better for other people. And that, to me, it's communication. It's, you know, all kinds of things. It's expectations, boundaries, et cetera. But um throughout my th- like the thread of my life, I can see where I'm just like, okay, I've always been like, we need to make this better. We need to fix that. Da, da, da. and, and That to me is just so invigorating and interesting Mm. to think about how we can make these experiences. I mean, not even, I mean, it makes us happier, but it also makes us more intentional and it makes us more satisfied. And that's the thing that I'm really concerned about is like, how do we create these experiences for ourselves that are, um, I mean, I guess you'd call them maximum experiences. (laughs) And it doesn't need to be all the time, but using that intentionality to really create um, the things that we want to create. Right. So, and that could be a business that could be whatever you're doing with, with leadership or, you know, I mean, I honestly also joke about how, like, even if you're leading yourself, you're still doing leadership to some degree, right? You have to think about what you want, how to get there Mm -hmm. and then how to follow through on it. Right. So, um, when the, so I, I had started getting my training and doing all those things and shifting into it. And then I had some longtime clients that, um, I've been working with and I started offering them leadership coaching and he was like, I wish you'd offered that six months ago. So I've been coaching all of their leaders for quite a while. And then I've been coaching a lot of individuals and other companies, um, since then. And it's just been so interesting. I mean, it's, it's, I I mean, I really love it. Like you were talking about, like, it's, it's so interesting to just be curious and to help people, um, untangle what they perceive as problems. I mean, they may or may not actually be problems. Right. But if you go in and really start asking the right questions, you can help them understand where the real problems are and what to actually really do about them, and how to shift their chain, their, their thinking about them too. Of course, and understand the underlying beliefs. So, agreed. Yeah, that was a long yeah. answer to that. But
0: coaching is coaching is amazing. I mean, I think about the conversations that I had today. I normally say I hop around different states uh, today. I hopped around the world. I'm with you in a conversation here. Have had great conversations with great leaders who are making significant impact in the world, some of them making significant money, some of them making significant multiplication of you know, beautiful ideas and concepts. Um, and man, I learned so much. And yet nobody's asking mm. people these very intentional questions along the way. And, and I feel like, man, each day I go home, having interacted with some amazing people. And if you are curious, then you can learn the posture of a coach, whether you're ever a professional coach, you could be a, you know, lowercase C coach to be curious, to ask good questions. It is a developed skill. Um, I'm curious for you. Do you think people are born good question askers or is question asking a learned skill?
1: I mean, I think it can be both for sure. I mean, um, I mean, my sister and I laugh about this because my mom is just an incessant question answer asker, even though she never really listens to the answers. It's like just on to the next question. Come on, mom. <laughs> so we want to balance, right? <laughs> I mean, we love it. It's very, it's very endearing, but it is also like really random. Um, but yeah, like I think that cultivating that curiosity is certainly something that people could do. And and I think that, you know, it's it's a and I think that it's important to do it with yourself first, right? Like a, any good leadership, like when one of the hardest parts of leadership is, in my opinion, is understanding how to manage your emotions, especially if you are an emotional person, letting them go through you and then getting curious about them. That's something that takes a long time to, uh, well, it can, It, it can take a long time to really be intentional about it, understand what's going on, notice when it's happening, and then respond instead of react based on the emotion, right? So, but it's totally doable. I've had clients do it. I've done it myself, right? So, That kind of curiosity is absolutely trainable. I mean, and I think just creating systems, I mean, I say for any habit that you want to create, if you create a system around it, yes, of course you can change. You can teach yourself to do these types of things. Mm Yeah.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, What are the greatest barriers you're seeing for leaders right now?
1: I mean, well, it's kind of, oh gosh, there's clearly the pandemic, right? The uncertainty. Uh, people are freaked out across the board um, in terms of we just have so like we we're kind of simultaneously waiting for things to go back to normal and doing air quotes. But I just don't think that they're. I think people are slowly accepting like this, this is the new normal. We we're not going back. Um, so trying to create certainty around that ambiguity, I think, is probably one of the biggest challenges I see for all of my clients right now um, because people do even if you're not certain as a leader you need to have you need to have an understanding that sorry your your uh followers or your employees need to have an understanding that even if you're not certain you're certain of yourself and that can be really challenging right now because there are all these external uncertainties going on hmm. um so yeah i can see that's definitely a big one and then from that you get imposter syndrome i, I deal with a ton of imposter syndrome and um, that's, I mean, I, fo- partly because I, f- I focus on working with offbeat leaders who I would define as somebody who, you know, maybe didn't go get an MBA, maybe didn't, um, follow like a traditional, again, air quotes, path, you know, mm-hmm. path towards leadership, but finds himself in a role and, and it, it is really interested and good at it, but understand that they can do more. That's who I focus on. So of course they're going to be natural, um, sufferers of imposter syndrome, right? You know, um, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, well, nobody really knows what they're doing. They have a little more education and maybe some different kinds of experience. But, you know, a lot of people are still making it up here and there as as we learn.
0: And I, a lot of times work with onbeat leaders. We can use the opposite of that. Who are trained for the thing that they're doing, right? They've been in sales for a long time and now they're getting a bigger opportunity. They're also dealing Mm -hmm. with imposter syndrome. So it's a human thing. It is not, you're completely unique and completely normal all at the same time. That's a completely normal right. category one. Yeah. And in the West, there's always an educational answer of like, first you are comparing yourself to other people in your field for 10 years. Well, then you feel like you need the field plus a PhD plus a sabbatical Price. to study this thing and, other thing. and so I've just found there's no end to that if we don't actually hit mm-hmm. imposter syndrome at um, that to be able to, to talk about it is one aspect. Mm-hmm. How else can we attack imposter syndrome?
1: Well, the question I always like to ask people is, how much is enough? How will you know when you're good enough, smart enough, everybody loves you, right? <laughs> like Stuart Smalley, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. Um, and that question does make people go, oh, that's a really good point. Like mm-hmm. some of them will go, oh, well, I need to have a, my, my master's and then I need to have this. and da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, but will you still, how will you know when you have that? Is that yep. the point when you're really going to stop and go, that's enough? Now it's time to get it moving yep. and do some mm-hmm. stuff. And that does kind of, I I call it jiggling the brain, but you know, like it jiggles their brain enough to where they're kind of like, yeah, actually. And I'm like, you know, just start taking those baby steps right now. You Mm -hmm. don't, you know, there's, there's not, nobody is going to date, like come down with their wand and anoint you as qualified or good enough. Right. So you really have to understand those stories that you're telling yourself around I'm going to be good enough when fill in the blank because guess what that that may or may not ever happen so why not just be good enough now put a little bit of effort towards it see where that takes you you know because that's when people get stuck in analysis paralysis too of like oh well and to be fair there is something to be said for qualifications and for using that career capital and really building on the skills that you already have I think that that is important as well I mean competence does breed confidence but you know we have to we have to really ask ourselves at what point am I competent enough and I'm going to still be learning.
0: Mm -hmm. go out
1: and do the thing or to make that decision.
0: Yeah. And again, if you're listening, you're a human. And one of the things that you'll find is that with success breeds options. So the more you're successful Mm -hmm. in that, Mm -hmm. then other people are drawn and magnetized to you. So what was intimidating to talk about, you know, people with hundreds of thousands of dollar decisions. Now um, people are talking to me about decisions in the tens of millions of dollars. Uh, And who am I to even ask questions or slash right. even advise in this? Whoa, hey, I don't know. But the, the problem gets bigger. And so even if our experience gets bigger, I love that of when do you know that it's enough? I think if it's an external thing, it's never enough. If, we, if we're talking exactly. internal, we're attacking that at an identity level. And do you know you can help someone? Can you ask a good question? Are you qualified in every area? Of course not. And, mm-hmm. you know, even just talking about some of the roles that we were, you know, sort of cast into in this small little town in Antarctica, uh, you kind of have to do a whole lot of things because this thing yes. has to run um, with the people mm-hmm. that we have here, here at the time, man, so much more we could ask on that. Um, I'm curious, what would you say to this? How much leadership is is innate, is built into somebody? How much can be taught?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I love that question because um, it, it kind of goes with the curiosity question, doesn't it? I mean, I think that some of us, it depends on your, like, I, I think that there are some of us who, I mean, I was labeled as the bossy one very early on. And so that became part of my you? identity. Of like, I mean, I didn't really, it didn't really bother me because I was just like, I guess for me, it was always just impatience with like, why are we all sitting around with nobody deciding what to do? Let's just let's just facilitate a decision. I don't really care what it is. Let's just go do something mm-hmm. instead of like, ugh. so I guess for me, it was more like um, a personality trait around like, why are we wasting time when we could be doing something if somebody just helps us, you know, focus our energy? Um so I think that there are people who have natural tendencies, but some of the people that I've worked with uh, who would not call themselves natural leaders are exceptional leaders. So I do think there's a lot of it that can be learned and fostered and, you know, they can use the, 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 um, relationship equity that they've built by being a solid person. You know, that's where the leadership comes in is that people trust you. And then you start depending on, you know, what kind of role you're in or whatever, but if you start moving up the ladder as a result of that, that trust doesn't go away. People still know that you're solid and they just need a little more direction from you as you continue to uh, you know, proceed along the, on your path. So I would say it's probably, um, you know, I don't know how, how to split it, but something along the lines of, you can have those skills and still get better at them. And you can also feel like you don't have them and develop, I would say significantly, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh Kassa is there a skill that every leader should be focused on developing?
1: Um well I mean there's so many but one of the, the biggest ones I think is storytelling. We were talking about this before the podcast. Um you know just being able to create context and being able to to really convey what the mission, the vision, all of these um and this is this is probably more from a CEO's perspective but all of those things help people really connect with you and help them really understand on a very innate and subconscious level what you're trying to get at. Actually, one of my favorite leaders that I think about all the time was the station manager at McMurdo when I left. Um, He was so fantastic because... He was just so honest and he was so good at telling stories from when he was a grunt worker (laughs) Mm -hmm. with the rest of us. And it really made it like, even when he was giving information that I was like, oh, this is horrible. I can't believe they're doing this. I still respected him. I always did because he, he used storytelling to help connect with us first and then to just be really real with us. Um, So I, I think that that's a way to build trust in, in, in ways that you can't, do just by saying, here's what our projections are, here's what the numbers are. It doesn't add enough context and it doesn't make meaning for people. Mm. And that's what it's all about, is helping to make meaning. Helping people understand the intent. Why? Helping people understand what's why it's important and what, what you're looking for as a result of that.
0: Mm. Beyond just storytelling, what's the connection between branding and leadership?
1: Mm. Mm, that's a great question. Um, so Again, it's your reputation. So I think of branding as building your reputation, right? It's not about, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff around logos and things like that. And that's, that's one part of it. But um, in personal branding in particular, it's about cultivating, understanding the things that make you special, understanding the things that make you unique, and understanding the things that people are going to be gravitated towards you about, like regarding, right? So, sorry, there's an airplane going over. Um, So for example, Antarctica for both of us is an interesting thing, right? It's an interesting thing about our backgrounds and it tells people a lot of things about us. We're adventurous. We are uh, tenacious, I would say. Hint of
0: crazy in there.
1: Exactly. Right. There's, there are these things that immediately, that story just saying, I went to Antarctica immediately conjures uh, images and emotions in your brain that you cannot do otherwise. Right. I could say, I like adventure. And you are like, cool, whatever. Right. So that's that as part of our personal brand, right? When you're a leader and you have a strong personal band for integrity, for, um, you know, whatever it is, I call it owning your weird, you know, if you're a crazy mountain biker and you like to talk about that here and there, like, that's fine. We don't want oversharing on things that aren't relevant to uh, what's going on in, in the business environment necessarily, but you want to have those things that that build a little bit more humanity and that build a little more connection. Um, so that's what I think personal branding can really bring to leadership is Good. that, that again, relationship equity is what I call it. Um, and I also, for people concerned for me, and this might be the same for you. When I really started going full on with my business, I realized like, I'm going to have to share stuff about myself online. And it made me feel really vulnerable and freaked out to be perfectly honest and understanding how to manage that by choosing the things that I wanted to talk about intentionally Really helped me go, okay, I don't need to tell every single thing about every little minute of my life. I need to focus on those things that people find interesting and relevant to them. And that made it so much simpler and easier. And then again, helps build that trust cycle. And and it just starts to become like a machine, basically. You just keep feeding the machine and it keeps rolling.
0: Mm. So, talk about the line there. Um, I've seen about 10,000 people on LinkedIn who um, the men are always wearing blazers. Um, the women look semi-profesh, you know, somewhere in there of relax, not too done up, just enough, uh, same pose on everybody. You tell them a hint cynical on this. Everybody's a ninja of something or a genius <laughs> of something. Every, everyone's title yeah. like that may be the coolest title I've ever heard. I'm not sure what they do. Um, yes. how much of ourselves do we share in that uniqueness of owning our weird? And then how yeah. much do we, uh, maybe act professional or do we live right. professional? Do we lean professional? What is that tension and what is too much sharing? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. And I mean, actually I think there's a couple of questions here, here, but the first one being I like to, and I, this is what I tell my clients. I like to stick to maybe 20% personal, 80% focused on again, business. How can I help you? Because I mean, I think that every almost everything that you should be producing and particularly around your personal brand, um, should be focused on like people are reading it and thinking what's in it for me. Like they're not thinking that consciously, but they are thinking it subconsciously. And so sure, of course, personal stories that you can relate to them will do f- focus on that. Um But yeah, mostly. So I focus on branding leadership and confidence building. Essentially. Those are the three topics that I talk about over and over and over again. Um, and people resonate with that. They know what to expect from me in that way. So, but yeah, like I said, I, I, I would say 20 to 80 ratio seems to work pretty well for most people and it also like I said you don't feel like you're an oversharer. you don't feel like I mean again that was the other thing that I was afraid of was being some kind of like Instagram overshare you know like egomaniac and that right. just uh yeah it just freaked me out I was like I don't want to do that so um you know walking that line is really important the other thing that you mentioned was like the ninja of whatever or the and I think that that's it's so interesting because like I don't Think that's a smart play for them in the long run, right? I mean, you've seen, especially on LinkedIn, where you can only see that first line of what their title is and you're like, cool, they're there's some kind of ninja. If I'm I'm not that interested to go check out their their like profile to find just out what clear. they do, right? Tell me just what be clear you
0: do very clear over cute to me any oh, day.
1: Always, is that's the number one copywriting rule is like clear over clever. Yeah. So um if you can if you can also couch that in a benefit statement bully for you. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, I think my verb is coaching offbeat leaders. That's my title. So you can, but you can get pretty quickly what I do. Right. I, I'm a coach. Um, instead of saying like, you know, slaying your, uh, imposter syndrome demons or whatever. I right. don't, I mean, you know, it's just, it is, it's too vague. And so I, I get people, what they're trying to do is to have that benefit statement in there, but it doesn't work because it's too vague.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough, uh, and with people scrolling faster and faster these days, um, it's tough. We've got to hit people straight to, I think communication has mm-hmm. changed um, over the years, even the last Great few time. years of podcasting uh, very short form is in a very long form seems to be in We're cutting out the middle of a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it is fascinating. What is shifting, how social media is shifting, how, uh, you know, it used to be long form blogs, then it was listicles. And then now I'd say it's, it's almost just those tweets, man, it better be good before I can, my eyes can move to the scroll. Um, and so I think more call for clarity over time, mm-hmm. even. Um, mm-hmm. And when in doubt, be clear. Somebody else can be the ninja of something or the genie of something. Why don't you just be <laughs> you and tell people what you actually do? Um, yeah. last and how question. you can really help
1: them because ultimately yes. you're you're showing them right off the bat that you can't even help them understand they, what you do. Right? They don't
0: like, care. They care yeah. how they can grow. And then eventually, oh, who, who are you again? And that empathy and authority that we can bring um, eventually we don't get there if they don't see how we can, we can help them. Um, man, so much we could talk about, but last question here, um, you are living in another country and you are, um, I'm sure getting perspective on where you've grown up on the U S how do you think you are different because you've chosen to put yourself in a completely different environment?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, it's kind of one of these things. I think of any expat where you're going to feel like you don't really fit any anywhere anymore. I mean, that I've kind of had that for a long time. To be perfectly honest, like when I left Montana, I was, um, or like in my teens, and then I moved to California, which was so different for me. You know, I was in on like a ranch in Montana to like. I mean, it wasn't really super populous California, but uh, that sense of I don't really belong anywhere anymore. I, you know. I'm, I'm used to it enough, but it also still makes you, um, a little, have a little bit more of self-consciousness around things. Like I, I will be, I, and this is you might have experienced this as a traveling American too. I'm definitely always hyper aware of like, am I coming across as like the loud, obnoxious
0: American
1: traveling? Yeah. In Europe, I was always like really paranoid, like maybe they'll think I'm a Canadian, (laughs) which is terrible, right? Practice your accent. yeah, but it, but it again it helps me get more comfortable in ambiguity because yeah, I might be saying the wrong thing right now and chances are excellent that I am, but I I can just relax into myself and understand that I will figure it out. You know, it's it's not going to be the end of the world and this is I think travel in general helps you figure figure this stuff out, but um hopefully nobody's going to die. <laughs> in some situations they might, right? But most of the time you're going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. And you're going to learn from it. Right. So just thinking of it as a learning experience, I mean, that's, especially running a business over here while being an American citizen has definitely been a huge learning experience and it's um, but yeah, it helps you grow. And I think all of these things, you can either think of them as lessons or you can think of them as um, you know, victimhood uh, incidents, I guess you could call it. So that I think that's been the main thing about how it's changed me is yeah, helping me understand how to receive those lessons and really move forward with them.
0: Great. Hey, fascinating conversation. Love that we can connect over story, over McMurdo Station, MacDown, all the beauty that is New Zealand. Um, I think your assignment is to go hop in a kayak and go enjoy the beautiful summer over there as it is, I don't know, approximately 30 degrees outside here. So great to to (laughs) chat with you. Uh, Friends, if you want to follow up, Um, For you listeners, you want to grow in those three areas she's talking about, even connecting branding with a lot of the confidence of your own story and some of the insecurity that we all have around imposter syndrome. You can check out Casa in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. Great conversation. Would love to chat again. Thank
1: you so much, Alan. Yeah, this is fantastic. Thank you.